so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Screens, smartphones, tablets, and smart devices. Technology is an ever-expanding field that has an increasing influence on our day-to-day lives. At our national conference, Jason Thacker, Jamie Ivey, Ben Stewart, Trillia Newbell, and Tim Blackman discussed how our families can respond to the good and bad about technology. Let's join this important discussion now. I want to introduce the panelists and then we'll jump right into it. Technology is ubiquitous in our culture. It's everywhere. You can't escape technology. So as we gather today, we're going to be hitting a range of issues from parenting and family all the way to how it's affecting us personally and even the future of technology. So we'll jump right into it. I want to introduce to my left uh, Trillia Newbell, a friend, uh, but also author and director of community outreach at the ERLC. Jamie Ivey is an author, podcast, and speaker. We have Ben Stewart, uh, he's pastor of Passion City Church in Washington, D.C., and Tim Blackman is joining us from Wheaton College that you serve as a chaplain, correct? So we'll jump right into it. My wife and I have two small kids. We have a now two-year-old, he just turned two in September, and then we have an infant. And I had one of those aha moments as a dad. Most of you probably have had one of these as a parent, if you are a parent or maybe yourself, but my two-year-old... Uh, I had my phone across the room. It was kind of in another room. He went and found my phone. We were sitting there playing a game. He got up, went and got my phone and brought it to me and just handed it to me. He didn't want to open it. He didn't want me to play a video. He just thought, you need this. You always have this on you. And it was just kind of this, oh, man. My two-year-old, who isn't even completely talking yet, knows that I always have this device in front of me, whether it's for email, for work, or text messaging, different types of communication. And that just hit me. It's like, hey, we're, we might have a problem even at two years old in our home with technology. And so I want to ask this question to the entire panel. Have you guys had one of these aha moments in your family where you're like, hey, maybe we have an unhealthy relationship with technology, but maybe you guys are perfect and you're going to tell us and fix all of our problems. So I want to open that up. You guys just jump in. I don't know if I have the oldest kids here. I probably do. I have a 19-year-old. You do. My oldest is 15. So, um, but I... We've, I don't know if it's like an aha moment, but now that, you know, five out of six of the people in our family have devices, we're constantly trying to figure out how do we teach our kids to handle them well and teach them that before they leave the house um, under our care. But some of the moments that we've had have just been when we start to see our children lacking some good communication skills, we can really pinpoint that back to, I think we've been lacking monitoring what they've been looking at or doing or spending their free time. And so that's something that we've been trying to notice in our house is just how are their communication skills, how are they looking right now? And maybe we need to pull back from a little bit. Yeah. My uh, 11-year-old 
said a few weeks ago about the 11th commandment in our home, which means that your phone has to be turned into the kitchen at nine o'clock. And if you don't do that, then you lose it for a month. And so they know this. And my, my 11-year-old said, well, maybe mom's and dad's phone needs to be turned in at nine as well. Oh. So it was kind of a wake-up call. Oh. Okay, I have a similar. My daughter, I, and I was asking them, I, I, don't, I don't know, every now and then we'll ask them, okay, how can mommy and daddy do better and approve and serve you better, etc." And my, mom, my daughter said, well... When you pick us up from school, could you pay attention <laughs> or something like that? And I was like, what, what do you mean? She was like, well, you're always looking at your phone. I was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> but at that moment, I realized, yes, yes, you are. So it was convicting as we're trying to teach them that I need to model what I'm trying to teach. Wow. My, um, is maybe not with my kids. My oldest is six, so I'm about to take like a lot of notes on what uh, <laughs> is happening. But uh, I think one of the first times it hit me was I showed up at a football game early, like before my friends, and was standing there. And, you know, it's in a social environment. Everybody's hanging out. And uh, I'm by myself. And so I just, like, impulse, grab my phone and pull it out. And it was maybe the first time I stopped and I was like, what are you doing? Like, I like to ask myself, like, question, like analyze. I had a boss that used to say, everyone can tell you what they do. Not many can, people can tell you why they do what they do. And so I always ask myself, why? And I'm like, why am I doing I'm like, I'm not looking for any information. I am trying to let all of you know I'm not weird. It's like, that's what I'm doing. Like, I'm trying to have a thing so people will think. And I was like, so what is that about? I'm like, I'm going to this for comfort. I'm not going for information. I'm going for comfort from anxiety. And I'm like, I don't know that I want that to be true. But I remember that was the first time for me. I was like, well, then what am I going to do? Just look at these people? <laughs> can't just sit there. Well, now I try when I'm on planes and I try to not look at my phone while people are boarding the plane. Cause I'm like, I want to look, I'm like, I'm anxious thinking about this right now. It's so, cause I was like, I'm going to have a human experience and I want to look at everyone's face as they walk in. And it's weird because I'll wait while the whole plane's loading. And I'm just like, hey, and they talk about you on the plane. They go, who's the creepy stalker? Yeah. Who's staring at people? Yeah. I do. Does it, keep, does it help keep that middle seat open? Because they're like, he's a creeper. Don't sit by. I like to keep the middle seat open, so that might, might work on that. You know what it does? Is it makes the flight attendant trust you. Oh. Because they're trained to look for attentive people, so they know if it ever goes down, they look for the attentive one. And I've noticed, as I'm aware and attentive, they talk to me. So basically, if our plane goes down, you're the guy to go to. I'm the one, hey. Yeah. Well, I'll follow up on that since yep. you have all this sage advice for us. Um, how do you lead your people on that? You were talking about having these human experiences or these personal connections. How do you lead your people? You're a pastor of Passion City Church in D.C. You're a dad of threes. What does that look like? What does that practically look like in the home but also in ministry? That's a great question. Well, I, I again, really want to hear the practical sides of what y'all are about to say. Because uh, I'm on the front end of that with my kids. I think for me, where it started to put an end on the point I was making is that awareness, I think, is critical. You know, Paul told Timothy, uh, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in this because you'll save both yourself and your hearers. And I've just, that has become a life verse for me because he's telling him, know your doctrine, Timothy. Like, really know what you believe. Cut straight the Word of God. And then he says, know yourself. Be a student of you, Timothy. Really understand yourself. And if you do that and persevere in those two things, 
you'll save yourself and everyone who looks to you for guidance. That's what he's saying. He's like, so be a good student of the word and be a good student of you. And so I find what I try to do is whenever you tell somebody, let's talk about your phone. It's like you see a wave of shame crash over them. Like nobody feels good about their relationship with their devices. And so what I try to do with my people is just say, hey, let's not, the goal, I'm not shaming you. This is a new experience for humanity. The iPhone is 11 years old. Everybody's trying to acclimate to the World Wide Web being on your person at all times. That's a, that's a new experience for humanity. And data's just coming out of what it's done to us and the negative effects of it. So I find when you come at it as a student and a learner, you don't get buried in shame as much. So I just try to be a student of myself and encourage people to do that. Just watch. Watch yourself when you see yourself going towards that, ask yourself why, and then say, do I want this to be true of me? Do I want this to be what I go to for comfort? And there's practical outworkings with families, but I, I bet we'll get to that. But that's maybe a guiding principle I try to teach. That's really helpful. Thank you for that. Well, truly, I want to ask you, you have two young kids uh, who really enjoy video games, who enjoy technology. I know you use technology. How should we be thinking about discipling our kids in relation to technology? We're in a culture that's increasingly connected and we're unable to disconnect, whether it's for our jobs or for a plethora of different reasons. So when you're thinking about your kids, how are you thinking about discipling them, you and Thern, as you raise them? Um, we are really specific. We just go straight to idolatry. Because I think for us and our kids, if you can't be without it, then it's an idol. And so we're, we are not afraid to, to point it out, to talk to them, ask them, okay, well, why, do, why must you? Because that's, why must you play this game for two hours? Why, why do you feel this passion about this? And what is keeping you from going outside and riding your bike? What, what is that? And so for us, it's getting to the heart of the matter, which I think is just helps with everything else as well. And, um, and so for discipleship, we just, we go to the Bible. And I think the, obviously, um, the Bible, it just applies across the board. So though you don't see the internet in there, we do see idolatry and how our hearts long for these things. So that's one way. And then another thing, which I think Tim just already brought up, is we try to put up some boundaries and, and, um, and teaching them, okay, at the dinner table, for us, at the dinner table, devices are gone. Yeah. And then we have, this is practical, I'm getting into practical, but we, we do have a, um, I don't even know what it's called, it's, my husband did it, but anyways, a timer that... I don't know what it is. It's a little white kind of Disney circle device. I don't know that it's a device, but it, I think he does it remotely. Oh, okay. Anyways, I think you all know where I'm going. And we just make sure that it's shut off. So we can, so at a certain time at night, the internet is shut off in our home. And you, it's, it's almost remarkable to watch. They go and grab a book. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's almost like, oh, awesome. we can do something else. And so they grab a book and they, they start reading or they, one will jump in the shower. And so for us, I think it's discipleship, teaching the Bible, helping them understand their little hearts and that our hearts are the same, that we struggle with idolatry too. And so we need the help of the gospel and the word. And then putting up boundaries that are, are still, I think we're going to get to this, but there's still freedom and joy, but, but there's boundaries so that they, 
they understand time management and stuff. We, we try to apply it to all of life. Hey, all of life, you're going to have to learn how to manage your time later. Let's learn now. So those are just a few things that we do. Do you have a set time you do that? Do you mind if I'm sorry? I'm saying no, that. yeah. For do the you, time. Yeah. Room? Are you like seven o'clock? We're done. Yes. So seven. Um, I, well, on the weekend, I believe it's eight and then 730 yeah. during the week. But if they don't finish their homework or they're, they're, they're not going to have that much time anyways. Yeah, and we do other things. So we, we try to make sure not a ton of things, but we, one kid involved in cross country. We make yeah. sure this uh, one kid's playing his trombone. So we're trying to, I like to be outside and exercise. So I try to go outside with them yeah. so that we're involving them in other things. And they're not, most of it is just, kind of boredom and we try to give them okay here's some other options which I, I think brings is helpful like yeah. you have other options in life it's interesting to me because growing up we didn't have this yeah. and so I it, it's an interesting draw to me well we've talked a lot about screen time so let's get really practical here most of you, if you have an iPhone, you have a new feature on your iPhone called Screen Time, yes. um, which is super, super helpful. Even for me as just a dad, like I'm think, I get the little notification. It says, your weekly report. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Did I really spend that much time on email? Yeah. Like I, I can't believe it sometimes. So, Jamie, I want to ask this to you. As a mom of four, you guys all, you said five of the six people in your home have a device. What is screen time? What does it look like to limit that? There's lots of tools like the iPhone screen time tool or uh, Disney Circle. There's lots of tools like that that you can implement these screen time. So what does that look like in your home? Yeah, we do use the Disney Circle, which is kind of like what you said, and it's a device that you can connect to your internet, which you can also connect every device that connects to the internet to that. So at any point, we could shut down the internet. We could shut down the Xbox. We could shut down a particular phone, maybe. Um, and so it's all on there, which is really great. And you really find out when your kids are having idols, when you're out of town, and they're like, can I have some more time? And we're like, no, go do your homework. Um, so we have that particular device that helps with screen time. We also are learning. I mean, the thing is, none of us grew up with these computers in our pockets but everyone from here on out will have them. And so my bent sometimes is just to burn everything down, throw the phones in, throw the Xbox out the window. I'm tired of it all. It's dumb. I don't like it. We but should band together. I think <laughs> we should both do it on yes. like November 1. Is yes. Like D-Day. But what I do have to remember is I could do that. We could do that. And we would probably be mean parents, but our kids would survive. But I don't know that they would have the skills they would need when they got to college, and I wasn't there to throw out their Xbox and yeah. turn on the circle. And so for us, one thing with our, these, these devices, they help us parent, but they're also helping us help our kids learn how to handle their time. And so we've set up boundaries, just like you set up boundaries with your kids in every other area. This is new for us as parents. Now we need boundaries around screen time. You know, I used to tell my kids, we're done with snacks. No more snacks for today. <laughs> now we're like, no more screen time, you know? And so um, at night, we usually don't have our TV on unless it's a sport event because I'm particularly like those. And I think if everyone's watching a game, then we're all together, right? I don't know. Don't write that down. Um, 
but we do. And we will have frequent nights where we say this is a no-device night even. Like there's no TV, there's no Xbox, there's no phones. We're actually going to sit around the table. We're going to go outside. We're going to watch, we might watch a family movie. So just putting up a lot of boundaries. And our kids need them and they actually desire them. That's really helpful. Well, in terms of technology in the home, when we talk about... um, you, you see study after study coming out recently that are talking about loneliness and how we're actually more, even though we're a more connected society, we're actually much more lonely and isolated. And technology is a large play in that. There's a book came out, a really helpful book called iGen by, uh, it's by a lady named Jean Twinge. Yeah. And she writes about iGen, the iGeneration that's grown up with the iPhone or these technologies. Uh, she really explores a lot of these loneliness aspects. Tim, I want to ask you, um, as you're a college chaplain, you have a lot of college students coming in. What are you seeing in terms of loneliness and this connected but disconnected group of kids that have really grown up with technology? What does that look like yeah. at Wheaton? And- well, I think for me, the, my approach or my understanding of this has been shaped tremendously by the original thinker and media ecologist and media philosopher Marshall McLuhan. He's the one who coined the phrase in 1967, Uh, The medium is the message. And when you think of that, particularly for for your phone or your personal computing device, uh, it's designed actually to make you lonely. And I I think this this shows up in three ways. If you you think of uh, my phone is the pathway to experience whatever I want. I can listen to what I want. I can have my favorites. I can have my playlist when I want it, how I want it where I want it. And so what begins to happen is the, the self begins to curve in on myself. I'm primarily obsessed with making me happy. So it's a, it's a personal happiness device more than anything. It's interesting that my iPhone is actually also called an iPhone. It is about me. I am supreme. I think secondly, when we say the medium is the message, uh, it's also the machine is designed, or really all our machines are designed to focus on images. And so I, I see beautiful images of exotic cars and exotic homes and exotic experience and beautiful locations for vacation and beautiful bodies in various stages of dress or undress. And my kids see beautiful sneakers that they, that they are just obsessed about. And all of that is designed uh, to give us an image. Now I am nudged several times a day uh, when I participate in social media to now also present a certain image. And I want to be careful to curate that image. I, I show the best and I hide the rest. I only pick those pictures that I think will look flattering. I, I only show those things that I think will, will make my virtual self seem appealing or interesting. And I think what that does, the psychological effect of that on our students, I think is, is significant, actually on us as well. That by creating this false virtual self, I, it's actually difficult for me to figure out and to remember who I really am because I have this, this cognitive dissonance about this created self, this curated self, this manufactured self, which is obsessed with image management and who I really am. And I think it, it gets at the deep fear that all of us in this room have that what if they actually find out what I really am like? Would they, would they like the real me? Would they like the natural me? And so I, I, think that, I think that creates loneliness. And then thirdly, I think the medium is the message. I think that means that when I interact with technology, 
I am, I'm essentially passive. So I am watching, I am seeing, I am experiencing, but no one is seeing me. No one is really hearing me. No one is really interacting with me. And I think one of the deep needs that all of us have is to be known and experienced and loved in a, in a physical embodied way, not some kind of in this disembodied way, because we, we need the interaction. We need, we need to be patient with each other. We need to be known. We need to have faces look at our own faces and say, I know you and I love you. And I think all of those I think contribute tremendously to our, our loneliness. Yeah. But I think, I think the, the, the medium, it, I think it is designed to make us lonely. I don't think it is fundamentally designed to bring us together. Well, you talked a lot about the curated self, this idea of making everything. I, I think of Instagram initially. You think of like perfectly orchestrating the dinner plate to look like we have this beautiful dinner every single night. That's not what it is in my household. My wife's a fantastic cook, but that doesn't mean that everything on our table is perfect every single time. But my wife and I, we were talking about today, and I was preparing and thinking through these questions that we were going to ask, and one of the biggest questions for our family is what does it look like posting, especially photos of our children online? There's a lot of questions and a lot of safety that goes into that. And so, Jamie, I want to ask you, you use Instagram a lot. I mean, that's part of kind of your role. It's part of your um, writing and speaking what does it look like with your four kids? Like, what do you post? What do you not post? What kind of help us think practically through that? Yeah, this is such a great question and so needed today with all of us on Instagram showing our lives. Um, you know, my kids are 14, 13, 12, and 10. And so they all have their own opinions now. They all have their own style now. They're, they all have their own thing. So when my kids were little, it was cute to show pictures. There was no Instagram, but on Facebook of them with their underwear on backwards. Because who doesn't think a little three-year-old boy who doesn't know how to put his underwear on right isn't cute. That's cute and funny. But now that my kids are older, well, they don't do that anymore. Don't do the 13-year-old no, in no, no, underwear no. backwards now. That's, that's not an that's option. That's not cute. It's not cute anymore. <laughs> but my point is we, there is so much more you can share about your kids when they're younger because they don't have an opinion about it. And it's not really going to affect them in, in the long haul. Now that my kids are older, with people that follow me, if you ever see a kid of mine on my social media, they have said yes to that. I ask all of their permission because, well, it's weird. Some of their friends follow me, and frankly, that's weird. I don't know why they follow a 40-year-old woman, but I have no idea. <laughs> but just recently, two of my kids asked girls to the homecoming football game, which this is a whole nother panel, and I have so many thoughts, but... <laughs> They had their teacher took a picture of them at school and they texted it to me because we were here and I asked them, can I share this? And they could have said no, they said yes. Um, but I asked them every single time because they're not my puppets. They're not for me to put on showcase and they're not for me to just say, here's how awesome our family is. And frankly, the older my kids get, I have a lot more terrible material to show you than cute material. And so that is personal as well for our family. Well, this is for the whole panel, but Ben, I want to start with you. When we think about technology, we've been talking a lot about the dangers of technology, the overuse or the abuse of technology. But we also know that technology is a good gift that God has given us to glorify him, but also to love our neighbor. So what are some of the good uses of technology and how might technology actually draw us closer together as families or in communities or even in the church? What, what are some of those good uses that you can think of? That's awesome. That's awesome because I think of... Uh... Was it Charles Spurgeon wrote in his lectures to my students 
a chapter on those with slender apparatus. He's talking about guys that are little. And he was like, if you were built to be a preacher, God would have made you big enough to be heard. Because they didn't have microphones. So they were like, if you think you're called to preach, but you're not big, sorry, do something else. <laughs> so when you ask how technology helps, I'm like, it's giving me a job. <laughs> I don't know if you saw me walk up to Todd Wagner's podium. I'm like, hey, guys. <laughs> In the midst of giants between him and Matt. But um, so, yeah, the, the connect... I mean, one of the exciting things is the connectivity overseas. I mean, just being able to see when there's a crisis around the world, I can see it right away, and we can lean in and pray. We can lean in and give. That's an opportunity we have to help our kids see needs around the planet and, and solve those, which I think is really great. I mean, that's one thing, just as ministry, you go, how do we redeem this? There is a, a ministry angle to that. Um, I was just at a conference about Bible translation, getting the Bible into other languages, and the way technology has moved is now getting us to a place where every language on the planet could have a copy of the Bible in their own language within the next 15 years, yeah, which is just unbelievable. The missional impact and or benefits of technology. Yeah. Just, it's a really an untapped market, I guess you could say. I don't like the term market there, but it really totally. is. There's so many opportunities to share the love of Christ worldwide that we just didn't have even 10 or 15 years ago. Totally. What are there some other good uses of technology? You know, with my kids, we'll watch these little, like, five-minute videos uh, about, like, that kind of summarize each book of the Bible. We'll, we've integrated that into uh, some of our nighttime routine that I'm, I'll watch them and be like, that is really good. I mean, <laughs> trying to do a whole sermon on that, I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to fit that in 40 minutes. And this guy does it in five. I'm like, well done, sir. But it's kind of a cool way to, um, just a different way to, to get the, the word into our kids, I love that ministries are fighting to give us as parents opportunities to do that. I think there's also a powerful way that you see that technology can mobilize movements. Now, again, I'm, I'm not super sanguine about how, how positive this all is, so don't get me wrong. Uh, but so, you know, so at Wheaton College, we've been praying every day for the liberation of Andrew Brunson, one of our alum, who actually was released yes. from prison today, which we're super excited about. Um, and there has been this groundswell, this movement uh, of, of attention and focus that gets us off just the comfortable confines of Wheaton College and helps us understand what life is like for the persecuted Christians around the world. But now, we're also aware that that same mobilizing power can, can help a terrorist cell do their work very effectively. So I'm, you know, I'm kind of ambivalent about how good this is in the end. Yeah. yeah. I mean, my, what I think is the same thing is that we have everything that we could possibly need information about literally at our fingertips. And so that is so helpful and it is so good and it can also be so damaging and so scary. And so as a flip side of just, we have this information which people can be educated on issues that they might not have been educated on before yeah. because it's right there on their computer screen. Um, I think in a total different subject is just the movement that we've seen with Me Too movement or the movement that we've seen with racial injustice in America. It's always been there. It's not new. We just get to see it better because of internet. I agree. You cannot unsee what you see, and it, it causes you to, to pray and think and act in ways that you probably wouldn't necessarily have been able to. We could turn off a TV or never read a newspaper, but most of us are online at some, in some way, and so I, just, I, I, I really do believe that the Lord can use and has used um, our connectivity 
for, for good. Another way, I think, is um, although on Instagram and Facebook, whatever, you see fake and false, you also do get some raw and real images of people living life. And, and I, I think in some ways, of course, you want to have your, your core community in your local church. I believe that wholeheartedly. Yeah. Um, I do think that in the past, it would be easier to have a celebrity pastor or woman or something and just assume that is her life. But now more and more, I see people who are sharing about their hard days or their brokenness or their pr- repenting. And, and, and you're not alone. And I think that's, that's something that has been encouraging to see is that um, people know, okay, I'm not alone in this struggle or in this area or, or whatnot. And so, and so as much fake is on there, I do believe that the Lord has given a lot of real and, and honest and open. And, and I think it's, it's encouraging. And it's also, I think it has the potential to be an incredibly powerful storytelling device. I mean, I hear of stories that are amazing. My wife would actually say the best thing on the internet is Jamie Ivey's podcast. Yeah. Uh, but like this week, I was trying to explain to my son, uh, one of the greatest soccer players coming out of the Netherlands, my home country, was Johan Cuff, and he had never heard of him. And so I got to tell him the whole story and show highlights, and we had, you know, an hour together of telling stories about the moves that he invented. And it was, I think it was a fascinating way to kind of bond together. And I would have not have had the, the resources uh, to be able to tell that story in that kind of a compelling way. Wow. Yeah, and as we see technology, it's a tool that God has given us that we can use for good, but we can also, as broken and sinful people, use for evil. Uh, but truly, I want to go to you. You have two elementary age kids. I know your son especially loves playing video games, and he really likes the game Fortnite. Uh, oh, man. You I didn't had, know that. He was in the office on the internet. Oh. He was in the office, and you were talking about it. So. I was like, that's a, yeah. Well, in social media, I, I, you know, I follow you, so. No, but I know... We're friends, I'm teasing. We are. <laughs> but when you think about video games as a family, what does that look like in your family? Like, I know you said you set um, certain screen time, like you have to yeah. put your device down. Yeah. But a lot, as video games are becoming increasingly more immersive, uh, things like live audio where you can talk to other people that are playing video games or even with VR headsets, you can put them on and totally be immersed in this technology. Yeah. All the way to just having an iPad or a video game device console. Yeah. What does that look like in your family? Well, first of all, if I told you all, floss, do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> of course. And so in this little whatever. The <laughs> so those. <Show> us. <laughs> I kind of did. Everybody, everybody. <laughs> so these things, it's, it is absolutely pervasive. And it's, it's hilarious in some ways how... How much these video games have infiltrated, is that the word? I don't even know. Our lives and our families and we're dancing. And um, I was at a professor's house of RTS and he started doing this. (laughs) And I just thought, this is hilarious. This is like a professor. Um, And so my point is, is that for us, we, they're not just like Pac-Man or whatever I used to play. It's, some of them are really violent and they're they're influencing, and so, so and and they do more. They like my kids are playing with my cousins that are three hours away, and so it's remarkable how connected even that is. So for us, we've actually had to be 
much more involved than we thought we would for a video game because it they can connect to the world. They can connect to anyone. So we we don't let them use their real names. So they don't have they. You can have a avatar or a screen name, but they they aren't using their real names. And then we just want to make sure that they don't connect to anyone who we don't know. So for us, bottom line it is we have to actually know the games and know what they're looking at. And so it's not just a matter of saying, okay, you only have 30 minutes. It's okay, this actual, this game you can't play because someone's head just exploded. And this, <laughs> and this game you can't play because, you know, so, so we have to be a little bit more involved than we would be when I was young. Yeah. Can I also add to that on separate than video games are on the on our kids devices with all of the apps that are available. Um, I think we as parents need to be really aware of what they're downloading. And so for our kids phone, nobody can download or delete an app without us giving permission on our phone. And so the, the crazy thing is that, is that there is technology that's building apps that look like a basketball game, but it's actually a back way around to get to things that are inappropriate. Yeah. And so I think as parents, not only do we need to know what kind of games they're playing on their Xboxes, but we also need to be really aware about what kind of games they're downloading to their phones. Well, the, uh, uh -oh. that article I read on Forbes the other day about kind of the proliferation of pornography and how widespread it is was also showing you some of the main ways it's downloaded into people's lives. I think phones were number one, but PlayStations, Xboxes were pretty high on the list, which I think should well, unnerve I, us. Yeah, no, I mean, it puts the fear of God in you. Yeah. And one of the things that we, we don't actually, they have a Kindle, and their school, they needed a Google Chromebook, so they, yeah, so which is goes to Jamie's first, one of the first points, that it's really important that we just teach them time management because it's going to be in their lives. But we have not allowed them to purchase a phone or, or we haven't purchased one for them. They don't have a device that they couldn't use at, they have to use it at home and be connected to our internet basically. And um, which is funny because I get text messages from his <laughs> kids' friends all the time. But yeah, <laughs> so it, we're paying the price for this decision, but... <laughs> But my point is, is that um, we also tell them that, and they don't know how to look this up, his, your, your internet history or whatever you look at is stored. So we have access to that. So don't keep a secret from us because we could just look. So it helps build trust for them to talk to us because we let them know, oh, by the way, it's stored in your computer. Yeah. yeah. And Ben, I'm glad you brought up the topic of pornography. That's kind of likely the elephant in the room. A lot of people are thinking about this with technology, and as technology becomes more and more immersive, porn is becoming more and more immersive. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's, as you said, you can find it through multiple apps, not just the internet, but even accessing the internet through different applications. Help us think about the topic of pornography. It's probably one of those topics we've talked a lot about, but we haven't talked enough about it, I don't believe. Yeah. So how do we think about pornography and technology and how we shepherd our families, but also our, our churches? Yeah. Well, that's a big question. I do think um, it's good we're talking about it. You know, Chris Rock just did his latest comedy special on Netflix, and he's on stage in a very not funny moment talking about why his marriage fell apart and he got divorced, and he said, my addiction to pornography destroyed the intimacy in our marriage. And um, you go, if Chris Rock, and, and you could see the room fell completely silent, and he goes, 
billions of people watch porn daily, but I'm the only one with a problem. And the whole room burst out laughing because you realize everyone was scared to say it. And then he just released them to admit what many people are struggling with. And I was like, if Chris Rock is doing that, and his aim is a laugh, we as ministers need to do it as an aim for redeeming our people and helping them. And we as parents need to do it. I mean, I'm thinking of my kids are little, six, five, three. And I'm just at that point now where we're having to explain why we lock the door because we live in the city. And just realizing for them, like, the world's not always the safe place and not everyone has your best interests in mind. Like, I'm on the front end of those conversations. And I just think you do that with locking the door of your house. You do that with you can't get into a stranger's car. And you do that with the Internet. You're like, this is the World Wide Web. Everybody's on this. And there are people in here without your best interests in mind. And for me, I just keep thinking about, you know, all the passages and the New Testament that call us to be wise, Peter will use the word be sober. He's like, just don't let your mind get numb and dull. Be sober and alert and prepared, you know. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil is what Paul said. You know, like, I need to be aware of what moment I'm in and aware of what's happening. And what I've realized with a lot of parents is they're not aware because they're afraid of what they may find and kind of hope it's not true. But for me, that's not... um, that's not the loving thing to do. I mean, you see and you go, the internet is a vulnerable place, and so people are going to be vulnerable there. And the way you do that is you create a safe space to share the truth. You know, Jesus was full of grace and truth. So can I create an environment where you know I'm going to be gracious to you, but we're going to speak the truth to each other? So in college ministry, you know, the stats, 86% of young men are saying they look at pornography on a monthly basis that are in college. 30% of girls in college. So you're talking about one out of three, you know. Over half of young men say they're looking at it once a week. These, these are on surveys. So for me as a minister, when I meet with a young man, conversation one, as we get into spiritual things, is do you understand who Jesus is in the gospel? Conversation two is let's talk about your porn problem. And for the longest time, I would have guys be like, how did you know? And I'm like, how did I know? Weird. You know, like... <laughs> But it's like, dude, you know, like, um, because it's coming at all of us. And so I can shame you about it, or I can do what Jesus did with the woman. Hey, go get your husband. He, he pushed that conversation. He could have stayed at water, or he could have taken the bait and talked politics with her. He's like, I'm not going to stay at these shallow conversations. Let's talk, about your, let's talk about your marriage. Let's talk about the guy you're living with. I mean, Jesus brought this up, not to shame her, but to redeem and I think as parents, we got to bring it up. Hey, let's talk about this. Hey, I'm not trying to embarrass you. I'm trying to talk about a very obvious reality that our world is soaked in a really unhealthy way of expressing sexuality. I found uh, Mark Regnerus's books really helpful with that, just if you're into reading on the subject. They're dry. If, if you have, you know, they're, they're not written to be real engaging at a like, narrative level. It's just research on premarital sex in America. His latest book is Cheap Sex how the way we are handling sexuality in America today is actually hurting us because it's a disintegrating uh, where you're supposed to have the physical expression of sex along with the emotional and spiritual. I love all of you. And that, that disintegrating of ourselves is a form of human suffering that I've been on the front lines of for a long time. So I'm passionate about it because I love these kids. You know, and you're like, I want better for you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? What we're seeing too with you know, being in a residential community with a couple of thousand uh, 18 to 22 year olds, not only how pervasive it is, but how deep the addictive patterns it. Oh, you yeah. know, part of this medium is 
it's habituative. I mean, it's, it's, it really, it's a habituation of disordered desires yes. that, um, that, that become pervasive. I mean, they simply can't stop it. I, we have hundreds of students in small groups, men and women, uh, primarily to talk about their sex addiction. Yeah. And these are, these are students from your homes and your churches. They're, they're coming from Bible-believing families, and they love Jesus Christ, but they have been habituated yeah. to pornify their life. Yeah. Yeah. I think, too, when you talk about this with parents, is it's like I think Ben mentioned, it feels uncomfortable sometimes to talk about this. And I think what happens is we do this. We tell our kids, maybe you think you're a really good parent and you're on the cutting edge because you tell your kids what pornography is and about it, and then you tell them not to look at it, and then you feel as though my job here is done. And your job has just begun because no longer do we have to go look for porn. It is coming for our children. Yeah. It is coming for us. My kids have come to me, and they have been on a website in the computer in our living room, a, a website that I would approve, and they're like, Mom, I think this ad on the side is inappropriate. Yes, it's inappropriate. And that's, we have to teach our kids what to look for. We have to teach our kids also about the shame thing. Let me just say this lightly. Your kids will see pornography. Yeah. It is no longer a question of, I wonder if my kids are going to see porn. Your kids will see pornography. Mm-hmm. Last year, one of my boys was shown pornography in a class at school. Yeah. In a classroom at school on someone else's device. So we can monitor our kids' devices all day long. Yeah. But I don't know what they're seeing on somebody else's phone. Yeah. And so we have got to be proactive parents, and we have to be uncomfortable. I am a woman, and I have talked to all three of my boys about pornography because it is not just a man's job. And I will talk to my daughter as well, and I have, but my point is, moms, you have a responsibility in this as well. Don't put it off on your husbands and say, well, they'll talk to them about it because then it becomes this weird thing, and sexuality becomes really scared, and it's nervous, and we can't talk about it. We have to be the ones talking to our kids about sex and pornography because people will. Well, it's weird. You looked at, you know, the book of Proverbs, four out of the first seven chapters are all about seduction and sexuality. You're like, it's four out of seven. Like, it's coming early and often. You know what I mean? You're like, that's uh, four out of seven. That's, that's impressive. And the book was written to a young men coming of age, so it's about 13 years old. And you see he's reasoning with his son. Not just, well, don't do that. You can't see that. He's, he's saying, son, this is how it's going to this is how it's going to work. Yeah. This is how seduction is going to operate. And you go, this is our Bible doing that. And, you know, it's also the one that's the very book that's, you know, talking about loving your wives and, you know, re- be intoxicated with her love. Let her breast satisfy you forever. And you're like, man, he just wrote that to his 13-year-old kid. Um, you know, I'm sure the boy was like, dad. You know, and you're like, I'm just saying, son. It's going to be great. You know, so you're like, let's not be more prudish than the Word of God. That makes no sense. And so, Let's, let's have the conversation that the Bible is ushering us in to have about that, you know? And I do think it's also a chastising for us because I talk increasingly to Christians that are comfortable with entertainment that is morally compromising. And I think of the psalmist. He said, I'm going to step before my eyes, no vain thing. And I started to see that in a lot of my friends. They'd be like, well, this show has a lot of nudity and like some rape scenes, but it's, the storyline's really good. And I'm like, you know what, man? I'm just going to read a different story. I'm not going to watch that show. I'm not going to watch that. And I know the whole culture. I don't care. I'm not doing cultural research. I don't see that. So I find increasingly my way, what I'm fighting for with my family is redemptive alternatives. Let's find some other thing to entertain us that has no downside. 
Yeah. And it forces you to fight for creativity, but I want that. And I don't want to slump into shows that are making me fall asleep yeah. because I want to make most of every opportunity. Days are evil. And that's really helpful, and I, I appreciate all of your answers. Can Did I say wanna... one more thing? Yeah, one okay. more thing about this, and then we can move on. It's I think not only do we need to prepare our kids for when they for that they're going to, but we need to have a healthy, safe environment to walk through repentance and confession in our home because we get a unique opportunity to, to let them be able to repent and not feel shame for something that the world says is very, very shameful. Yep. And so we get to create this safe environment when your kids come to you and say, dad, mom, this is what happened. And also when that happens, you have just entered into a season where you have permission now. You get to speak in and ask, hey, how's, how's, how's your, your eye or whatever you would say to your kids, but you get permission to now speak into that. Yeah. And I appreciate that. We're going to shift gears just a little bit, but one of the kind of hottest gadgets or technology things that our kids are going to be asking for that you might even be wanting, um, is a virtual reality headset. We see virtual reality. It's, um, Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook actually bought Oculus um, a company, a startup company on virtual reality, and he proclaimed when they purchased the company that he, his goal, Mark Zuckerberg's personal goal, is to have one billion people in virtual reality, which is not, it's obviously virtual, it's artificial, it's not flesh and blood right in front of us. And so this is a topic that might be getting ahead of a little bit, but I think it's helpful for us as parents to get ahead of technology and be thinking about these things. So I want to open up to the whole panel. You might not have any experience in virtual reality, but maybe what are some of the things we might be thinking about, or should we not be purchasing these things for our children yet? Should we experience them ourselves before we share them with our kids? What does that look like? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, on the one hand, it's it's amazing what human beings can engineer and come up with. It's, it's unbelievable. And you could think of all kinds of potential beautiful applications of it. Uh, for me, I think the redemptive alternatives is a better thing to do. I mean, I, honestly, I, w- I would rather go on a trip with them. I would rather get, get them engaged in a sport. So I, I can say as a dad of four, 19, 17, 15, and 11, I don't, I don't know that I... Um, have any regrets for a purchase that I've made that includes batteries or technology. I don't think that I'm happy about any, almost any one of those. Wow. And, and particularly their, their iPhones. So uh, I'm, I'm amazed at human ingenuity. I can think of good reasons why you may want to use it, but um, we're, we're going to pass, I think, for Christmas. You know, I talked to a guy to add to that. It was fascinating because I did a talk on technology, primarily on iPhones at our church when we were just getting rolling at Passion City. And I had a guy come up to me at a barbecue we did later, and he was like, hey, man, I'm working entirely in the field of virtual uh, reality. And he was like, so you don't even know the half of what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> and he was just talking about, like, how immersive that world is. And I was like, all right, so let me ask you. You jumped down the rabbit hole, but you just walked up to me and started a conversation. And he said, well, I did. He's like, oh, that's true. He said, I just went into a complete, isolated, incurvature of the soul yeah. place. And I looked up and realized I wasn't flourishing as a human being. And he said, I had to set very strict boundaries for myself. I make myself have a conversation with a person I don't know every day, and I, I make myself look people in the eye, and I had to make myself set physical goals like workout. And I listen, you're like, he is parenting himself, and he had to parent himself out of that world. And so um, I'm not saying no one in here will ever try it or whatever, but uh, talking to him, you go like, 
he's flourishing as a human being because he kind of had to walk back out of it a bit. And he's not anti-virtual reality, he's still working on it. But I look at him and I'm like, all the stuff you're saying to do, though, is what I want for my kid. The confidence to look people in the eye, the joy in yourself of knowing I can do that. I can overcome adversity. I can grow as a human being. And you discovered all that in the real world. And I'm really happy you did that. So I, for one, am not interested in making my kids the guinea pig on any new technology. Let's see what it does to my kid. Nah, I let uh, let somebody else do that. But that shows you how unbelievably fascinating reality is. I mean, who needs virtual reality? That's what I'm saying. Have an actual living, breathing person who can make music and play games and and read a book and go to a play. And I mean, reality is unbelievably fascinating. That's what we're trying to do with our kids. We call it going on adventures. And they know it every weekend. We're like, we're going on an adventure. And for my kids' age, an adventure would be like, we bought them books about our city. And so they literally will flip through these books and they'll be like, Dad, I want to do that. And we're like, all right, we're finding the Hope Diamond today. Let's go. (laughs) And and, uh, we did. And then like, you know, last weekend it was like, there is a place where you can go and pick your own apples. And we just make it, like, kind of build it up, and, like, this is going to be insane, you know? And so um, we just try to... But it's work for me to just constantly be like, how are we going to make the world seem like a place of adventure? And that's why we call it going on an adventure. And they'll come to us now with adventure ideas, and I'm like, you know, that's what the Puritans used to say. How do you dislodge a beautiful thing? You replace it with a more beautiful thing. Fire yeah. Fire. yeah, well, gosh, it just sounds to me like he's your friend, the person who yeah. came up to you yeah. was learning to be a person, like a yeah. human. It, it's almost a, it uh, reminded me of the movie Inception, is that right? Inception, yeah. and there's, there's Ready Player One, I think. Okay. Yeah. And there are these alternative worlds that the people go into and they they live in and their their reality is terrible and so they have to get away and escape so for us um we won't likely i didn't even know that that was something that was available so (laughs) news to me i i've only experienced virtual reality through a ministry that was showing me what it was like in rwanda that was going on so that's the only experience I ever, and that was a redemptive experience. Um, but beyond that, I just, I would warn people against it only because it's just more with drawing people exactly out right. of reality, out of, out of, and reality, though, at, for a six-year-old is adventure and fun, but reality is sometimes just hard as heck yeah. and not adventure and fun. And they need to learn how to deal with real life. How, what does it mean to walk through real sorrows and grief and death? And my family has experienced, my son experienced an uncle who committed suicide. Okay, what does that look like? That's, your, that's our reality. Yeah. So we need to teach them how to live this and walk this Christian hard life out to finish the race that um, well. And so and so for me, this just sounds frankly scary, and I hope it doesn't take frac- take tra- get traction. I hope people. And don't. one of the things about virtual reality is you even read the box. I was looking and I was thinking about. I have a two-year-old son. I would never put a VR headset on him, but I was looking at the box and it actually said "not recommended for children under 13," which is really interesting wow. to me because that means they're already identifying this as an unhealthy technology 
for adolescents or for young kids that are growing in their minds. I mean, even at 13, you're still growing and developing. But at 13 is where they're saying, okay, this is a good time to maybe start immersive technology. So that was just interesting to me. What this highlights as well, though, I think is, is maybe a deeper spiritual issue that in the current world, which is obsessed with and fascinated by and fueled by technology, because it, it is everywhere and it is what we spend most of our time in. We are, I think, as Christians, uh, going to be increasingly pilgrims and strangers in the world, that there is a certain rhythm and habit and disposition uh, to who you are and what your affections are that are, that are going to make you distinct. Yeah. And I think being distinct, we're also going to be, the church has a unique role that we can play in the world and in this increasingly technologically rich society as a refuge for people coming out of it, just like you said, Ben. Like, as he's coming out, he's coming into a church, he's asking questions. We're, we can be a refuge for people who have been hurt and burned and damaged through this use of technology. Yeah. To shift gears a little bit, Jamie, I want to ask you, as a, a woman in leadership and also a mom of a young daughter, are there unique struggles or unique uses that women have with technology that maybe men in the room aren't aware of and that you, you could encourage us as um, fathers and as sons to help support the women in our lives? Yeah, I think some of our, I think they're unique, unique struggles that we might encounter as women would be, we would probably be more prone to comparison to someone else's life. Um, I remember when I was a mom with young kids at home is I felt as though everybody had a, a better home. They had better kids. They had a husband who showed up on time. They had all these things. No, I did. But <laughs> you know what I mean is that as you look around. Aaron's over here like, are you serious? You just called me out in front of everybody? That one time. <laughs> Try so get out of it. There's grace. Give it another shot. My point is we're looking around and seeing like, hey, everybody else seems to have this better. And granted, it feels different now with older kids. I remember this the most when my kids were little because I was a stay-at-home mom and I felt as though I was just surrounded by kids and diapers and snacks and meals. And so then I would look on social media and that would be, unfortunately, sometimes my, my reach into the outside world and I would think, well, that must be real life and this must be fake life. And so I think there's that. And so I think as husbands, you could really speak into that, not in a shaming way by any means, but as just a reminder and a come alongside of your wife to a reminder of her place where she is right now is where God's asked her to be um, because we can look around at everyone else and feel like they have the better gig. I think when we're raising daughters, it's super important for us to monitor. Like when my daughter gets older and gets into social media, which only one of our kids has social media, when she gets older and gets into there, it will be super important for me to monitor who she follows. Um, just for safety reasons, obviously, for the, the reasons that we've mentioned with um, sex stuff, but also just for who are you looking to as an influencer? And so we are very much influenced by who we're following. And what that means now is not just like the older woman at your church that you sit under her Bible study, but we are following people that we'll never meet in life. And they actually have influence on us. And again, it can be good. I have been greatly influenced in a good way by many people that I might not ever meet. But there is a tendency to follow people who are influencing you in the wrong way. And as a 40-year-old, I have that under a grasp a lot easier than, say, a 15-year-old would. And so I think we have a job to help our daughters discern that. Yeah. 
Trillia, you uh, recently authored Enjoy, which is a really helpful book about enjoying the good gifts of God. What are some of the ways that we can enjoy these good gifts as a family, uh, but also as individuals in terms of technology? What does that look like? Yeah, so one of the things that we've, we did probably a couple of um, summers ago, I have a heart for diversity in, in making sure that my family is exposed to um, various cultures. And so we, okay, so let me tell this whole story. My, I asked the kids to just write out different countries and we took one country a week and I cooked a meal from that country. We watched something and learned about their history. I would not have been able to do that without technology. I would have had to go to a library, which is fine, <laughs> which is good too. <laughs> know how which is it's kind of also telling I'm like how would I have done that but for the <laughs> but for them to see a, a music and, and their culture and to be able to just pull it up and to research right there was really remarkable so durwat is an Ethiopian dish I highly 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 recommend and we we just had such fun and so that was one way that it, it brought our family together and we were able to be exposed and I think another way is just to um we've looked at um obviously movies together we have movie night which for us is a special night so we have every Friday and they're like it's movie night regardless of what time we get home and so it's that that I think has been a fun and enjoyable time yeah, as we end our time together today, our conference theme is on the cross-shaped family. So I think we're here. Most of us want to pursue Christ. We want to pursue holiness as individuals, but also as families. And so as we've talked a lot about the dangers and the pitfalls of technology, what are some ways that technology might encourage us or edify us to get as individuals, but also as families as we end our time together? I think for me, what's, what's crucial is to understand the, uh, the shaping influence and because when you think of, I mean, I think of either as my own kids or college kids coming to Wheaton. Uh, right now, they might think that their parents and their teachers and their religious leaders have been their primary shapers and influencers. But they've actually been catechized and trained and taught and homeschooled by technology. And I think a lot of it for us is having these conversations openly. In some ways, what we're doing, I mean, I think this is, this is absolutely terrific and crucial, um, walking with them honestly even about our own struggles. And, and so I think, it, I mean, actual face-to-face -face conversations about these things, it doesn't seem like rocket science, but I think that goes a long way. Person-to-person, eyeball-to-eyeball conversations about the uncharted territory that we are in so that we can actually have a real person be the primary shaping influence of another person as opposed to the technology. I think that's crucial. I think it's good. You know, I think about a lot of the grid from my mind and my life is Genesis. You know, God in Genesis 1 creates structure, first three days of Genesis 1, and then he fills it with life. And then he looks at the man and says, do the same thing, cultivate. You know, create an environment where whatever you're controlling can flourish. And he's telling them, be in my image, be like me, be like God. And I think it helps me to think that way because I have erased from my mind that I'm a victim of anything. Like, I'm not a victim to my schedule. If I'm so busy, so tired, well, change it, man. That's yours. Manip manipulate it so that you and your family can flourish. And I'm, this thing's a good tool, bad master. 
I'm like, I'm not the master of this. I don't care what the world says. And so that kind of helps me to go like, I'm not a victim to these tithes. And it's not like, I'm the master of my own faith. You're like, no, God has charged me to take the materials I have in my life and to organize them in a way where I can flourish. And so when I start to do that, I go, well, then this is a tool for, my, for me, but it will not be a master. And the moment it feels like a master, it goes away. It's going to be on the periphery of my life. And uh, having the awareness to feel that. And so for me with our kids, one thing that helped me, I had a friend give me this advice as, as using it as a tool. Whenever I pull my phone out in their presence, I tell them what I'm doing and I show them what I'm doing. So they see it's a tool. I'm like, that is interesting. Let's see how far away that is. And we'll do that. And then I'll put it away. So they know, like, dad didn't choose this world over you. I don't want their memories of their childhood to be this. That's a really um, point. So... To me, it's a, it's a tool to use to enhance our life. And I think when we see it that way, you go, thank you, God, that that's something you charged us with. And the more I think about it that way, the more empowered I feel to live a life that's in line with my priorities, not just proximity. You know? Will you guys join me in thanking our panel today? Thanks for tuning in to the ERLC podcast. To subscribe, visit iTunes or Google Podcast, and be sure to leave us a review. Join us next week for a great message by Jen Wilkin.